my calculations are correct, when this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. It's showtime. Right, welcome everybody to another episode of the VHS Strikes Back. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Phelps, and my co-host and very good friend is Mr. Dave Horrocks. Hey there, Chris, and hello to our listeners out there. Welcome to the VHS Strikes Back, the show where we dust off the old video player and go on a nostalgic journey to look at the good and bad movies of yesteryear. Now, Chris, we have a special guest with us today, don't we? Who do we have? We have our very, very good friend, Mr. Tony Farina. But not only is he our very good friend, Dave, he's also our first Patreon subscriber. So, Tony, we can't thank you enough for that. And welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I, I've been trying since I discovered the Comics in Motion show years ago to support you guys in some way. I've been like desperate to do it. I supported you on your charity run, Chris. And of course I will yeah. if that ever happens again. But so I was excited that you guys launched the Patreon because it's a, uh, I get a lot of joy out of everything you guys do. So I'm happy to be part of the team. No, no problem at all. And Tony, I, I do have to say, you're probably one of the smartest guys I think I know, not because of your encyclopedic knowledge of all things literary, both with pictures and without pictures, but ultimately you convince your bosses you could do your whole online training uh, from your condo in Florida. So my, <laughs> I doff my cap to you, sir. <laughs> yes, it's amazing that uh, I've been actually totally online for seven years, but it was... <laughs> It's, it's, there's about 12 of us at my university who are totally online faculty and it is amazing. Uh, <laughs> it is a seven day a week job. You know, when you're like, you teach on ground, you show up and you teach your class and it's three hours and you go home. This is every day you're checking emails. And right before we jumped on, I was recording uh, video introductions for next semester's class. So there's always something to do, but yes, I am at home. I am not, uh, I don't even have to go out in the world. It's amazing. <laughs> it's my ideal job, that Tony. I've got to say, I've been canvassing this week because I've literally been working from home, and obviously you work from home, Dave, don't you as well? So I, I'm like, sent me boss a message going, uh, "Yeah, I'm up for it because they're trying to change, like, because of the lockdown, permanently people working from home, pretty much, unless there's a necessity to sort of go to our offices." And he's just messaged me back, "You're still half field based, Chris. You will be able to work from home, but not." every day with like you want i know you don't want to leave the house so it's like well i'm just suggesting it you know so i'm working on that tony but then again there'll probably be a slurry of more podcasts or maybe i shouldn't because i'll have even more time hey, there's nothing wrong with that the content you put out man is amazing so no do it the, the difference you. is with when me and you work from home chris is that we can't go out into the crisp florida sun and just take a dip in the pool <laughs> No, right. not really. No. Right. <laughs> oh, We've got right. Now, now, Tony, as well as being a, a massive supporter of ours, and we do always, uh, we appreciate it so much. You are also the creator and producer of the Indie Comics Spotlight show as well, aren't you? So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So I've been a comic junkie since I was about 11 or 12. And... Um, I've always liked superheroes. I mean, everybody does. That's always everybody's first entry into it. But I, I found pretty early on going to the Chicago con, I grew up uh, in Michigan, but or like less than an hour from Chicago, really right at the very end of Michigan, south of Michigan. So I'd go to Chicago all the time and I would meet these indie guys, uh, Mike Barron, who did a thing called Badger, which was hysterical. 
Um, I just got into a lot of indie comics, so it's it's kind of always been my thing. And so um, the idea of doing a show where we spend time talking about that has been so fun because I'm not just saying, isn't that cool? Like I get to, like my guests and I, we, and you guys were on the very first episode, we, we talk in depth about what's going on and like the psychoses of the characters and why the colors are done a certain way. So it's just, to me, it's giving comics uh, the platform where they are true high, or, you know, a lot of people think of comic books as junk for kids or it's pop trash, but it's just been so fun for me. And um, I, I had a bonus episode this week, which was cool. I appreciate that I got to do two this week. So it's, it's been so fun and I've got big things to come. I'm doing a run on Paper Girls, which is about 12-year-old girls who travel through time. And I'm actually having a friend of mine's 13-year-old son on the show as my guest to talk about it from that perspective to see how accurate it is. Awesome. And it's definitely one of my favorites. And, and like you say, it's not, this isn't about superheroes slugging it out. With the indie comics, there's such a diversity in the stories that people can tell. And, you know, the amount of people you've had on the show and stuff, it's brilliant. Obviously, you know, one of the highlights for me, and I imagine yourself as well, was to go through uh, Bitch Planet a couple of weeks oh, ago. With Kelly Sue <laughs> DeConnick herself. Yes. Yeah, yeah, right. absolutely unbelievable um that she gave up her time like that and and it was so cool and uh we had a great conversation it was actually really well timed because in the height of everything that's happening in my country and then you know obviously the world with the social unrest um it is it was the perfect comic for the perfect time and it was a great interview and i would recommend anybody go check that one out because she is so insightful and it was it was I mean, I'm assuming it's how you felt, Dave, when you interviewed Lenore Zahn. You're like, what is happening? How yeah. are you this please in my life? And and the weird thing about, and it came across in your interview as well, it was definitely the same uh, with interviewing Lenore Zahn. So if, you, if you're listening and you don't know, so Lenore Zahn is the voice of Rogue from the X-Men animated series, the old Fox 1992 and onwards kind of show. But she was just so humble. You know, she's done so much in her life. She's a Canadian uh, MP at the moment. So absolutely brilliant, you know. So, yep, loads and loads of fun. I noticed you did get a dig in there. You were like, yeah, you were on Captain Marvel for about three <laughs> seconds. Yeah, well, it, I, honestly, I didn't see her in the theater. I was looking for her, but I didn't see her. Do you know where she was? Have you? I think she you... was on the train, wasn't she? She was when... on the platform. She's yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Carol passes her. And uh, and then she's on the train, and then she gets on the train, and that's where Stanley is reading yeah. the Rat script. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, very meta. Um, yeah, but it was <laughs> in my intro though. I gave her more props, but she had kind of already before we started recording, kind of was like, "Yeah, my big movie debut." So yeah, it, I know it, it came across <laughs> as a dig, but it wasn't. No, oh, I'm teasing you. <laughs> so- <laughs> now, Tony, we wanted you to select a. We wanted you to come on the show pick a movie for us to to go through together so what have you what did you decide to pick well this is something chris and i have been um actually on twitter going back and forth about um it is one of my all-time favorite movies and anytime anybody asks what are movies that are better than the books it's this movie is tip at the top of the list it is alan uh, parker's 1991 the commitments awesome now what are your early memories of this where, where did you first see it I actually saw it. I did not see it in the theater. I tr- I graduated high school in 91. So this was that summer, I think, right after I graduated from high school. It was out. You know, it, was a, it didn't run long in the theater here. So it was quick on VHS. And so I saw it that summer. And 
Uh, my grandparents are Irish, they're first generation American. And um, no, second generation American, that was my Italian grandparents, how terrible of me. Uh, but they're Irish and they, they love Ireland and all things Irish. So I had read the books, the Barrytown trilogy books and the, um, that movie came out and I was just super excited. And I was not expecting it to be this spectacle and I loved it. And um, I'm, I'm obviously letting everybody know how I feel about it too early, but um, <laughs> I've probably watched it I don't know, 50 times. So it was exciting to have the opportunity to go back and visit something that I love. And I even reread the book over the weekend to, to kind of solidify my point that the movie is definitely better than the book. Nice, nice. Chris, did you, uh, did you read the book in preparation for this? Did I fuck? I didn't even know there. I didn't. I didn't, I didn't even know there was a book until Tony said it in the messages. However, Tony, I will say to you, uh, I'll raise your. I've watched it fifty times, and I've I've watched probably double that this film than probably over a hundred times. And I'm not just saying that to sort of one up you. It's yeah. Uh, no, I understand. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very very. Um, uh, it's positive. I won't be going the bad guy today, by the way. Anybody who's listening, I will not be shit because this is quite a um, not an emotional one, but it's a film that is close to my heart because uh, my nana, who passed away in 2010, my grandma, um, my granddad's Irish, uh, but he's from Northern Ireland. And we watched this film around about 92 ish. We got it, one of our relatives was like, You've got to watch this film now. There's obviously the Southern and Northern Ireland divide, but however, it's, it's from. Uh, you know, Southern Ireland, this in Dublin and that. And we watched it and absolutely fell in love with it. And the whole family were made to sit down and watch it with me nan and granddad. Me, me nan was uh, English, she wasn't Irish, but her favourite song, we used to have on, on family parties, she'd get up dancing. I've even sang it to her at my sister's wedding when I was in the band. Um, and we used to do uh, Mustang Sally, didn't we, Dave, when we were in the band? So, so... Why, oh, you just stole my thunder there. I was going to talk about that. Oh, sorry. So... so... <laughs> Anyway, I'll just pretend I said that, but we, yeah. we did Mustang yeah. Sally a lot, and, and I didn't really like doing it because we were like um, a sort of indie rock band, and I never felt it fit with what we did because it also it's a song that I've heard a millions of times because my nana would play it. We've all had the I've got the soundtrack, both uh, albums. I've, I play, and this is no word of a lie. I'm not just saying it, Michelle. I play Try a Little Tenderness by The Commitments at least once a week on my Spotify or. I sing it or whatever, because I absolutely love that song. Uh, but yeah, Mustang Sally, I've sang loads of times, and we always did it based on the commitment. So yeah, it's such... And, and at me Nana's funeral, we had to have Mustang Sally on because that was her song for this film. Oh, so that's amazing. Yeah, so so it's it's such an um, important film for me. And every year um, around me Nana's birthday in August, and this is the first year I've not... Uh, well, I've not watched it yet because it's not August, but we've watched it early, but I will be watching it again in August because I always make sure that I watch it on a birthday. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's really, really a, a powerful film for me, and I love it. That's awesome. Awesome. Now, for me, I, I remember watching it at the time, and it, it was in the charts as well, wasn't it? I'm sure, you know, it was on the radio and stuff. When the movie came out, uh, they were playing a bit of Mustang Sally. I uh, watched it in 92, and I, I thought it was good. I thought it was okay, but I don't think I really fell in love with it. But my my first kind of real serious girlfriend who I was with absolutely loved it, and she constantly had the album on. I was into stuff like Guns N' Roses and Skid Row and stuff like that. She was listening to <laughs> The Commitments and uh, Jamiroquai, and I, I, it always stuck out. I was like, but why? You know, I had an appreciation for, you know, soul and blues and jazz and stuff, but, you know, I didn't really, I, I, I wasn't in love with the film as such. 
But I do, I can tell you, like, I remember my first job, someone, it, it was like a blues harmonica player. And this is just in an office environment, so open plan and stuff. And he had a little, um, he had a little sign up on his desk. And it was, it was the words Mustang Sally behind a stop, <laughs> behind a stop sign. <laughs> so apparently, you know, in the blues circuit, it's like, they're constantly asked to play Mustang Sally, but they never want to. Um, but I, I was going to bring up the band thing, Chris, because I'd, I joined whatever. So, so the band that Chris and co had sort of set up, I was the replacement bass player. Now I'd come from doing the original stuff where basically you go around on the Manchester unsigned circuit. And most of the time you've got about five people who are actually watching the rest of them are friends of, you know, family of other bands that are there. There's usually about four bands playing at any one time. And, you know, there's not that much of a crowd interaction. And I remember, you know, the first time we played that live, Chris, and everyone just went nuts. And I thought it was a great little party trick. So they used to get up a few girls out of the crowd to do the backing vocals to it. And I remember that first gig and thinking, Ah, these guys have got it nailed. Nice, <laughs> nice. I like it. <laughs> I think I found my home. <laughs> but, but we did do, we did do hard to handle as well, which obviously they play in this one. We did that the Black Crows version, which is similar to the commitments. But Dave's right, and and, and it was it's, it was one of them. It, uh, Mustang Sally, because it's Nana's song. I always have respect for it, and I, I literally I will always skip it when I listen to the album because I don't necessarily like it because we played it for so long. There's a lot of songs we did, Tony, in our band that I can't stand playing, but I know that if you're in a crowd or a wedding, every man and his fucking dog is getting up, dancing, singing, you know, everything. And it's just, it's a cheap pop, really, if you want to win a crowd over, especially if you're doing crap in a gig. But... Um, it's a bit like Don't Look Back in Anger from the band Oasis like and, and uh, Wonderwall. They were two massive songs in the 90s, but they were played so many times that you were just like, fucking hell, I'm sick. I can't even listen to them now, but they're great songs in their own right. And Mustang Sally was played so many times in my family. It was ridiculous. <laughs> However, I have a respect for it. It's just, it's just a, and Dave's right, you know, cheap, cheap um, plug, but it was always a good way to get people up dancing and stuff. So uh, yeah, it was good. No, I, I, I think that's great. We actually, um, so we have, my wife and I blended our kids, you know, we don't have any kids together and we would take these secret trips where we would just cram all the kids in a van and we wouldn't tell them where we were going and we would just go. And so, um, this, the time that this came on, the Commitment soundtrack just happened to roll through the music we were playing. And, you know, a bunch of teenagers in a car after a while, they get to be assholes. But when this came <laughs> on, boy, they were like so excited. As soon as that first of Mustang Tally hits, it was like dance party in the back of the van. So the, nice. it it's still works. It still absolutely is a is a solve to, uh, a solve to any bad behavior or... <laughs> people just not wanting to get up and move around it is it is a great song and uh it's in the movie a million times obviously at the beginning it's their practice song and then at the end they play a clean tight version of it and i i don't ever get sick of it though but of course i never played it for me the shitty punk band that i was in in college our song we were bad and the song that we did that got everybody we did a really loud screamy version of the go-go's we got the beat and it's the same thing right. play we got the beat it doesn't matter even if it's bad People will get up and go crazy. I thought you, you know what, Tony? I thought you were going to say pretty vacant because we used to do that one as well. (laughs) We did that as well. (laughs) 
Those were the days, David. Those were they the were, days. they were, weren't they? Yeah. But um, no, I mean, it, it, for me, unless you're a muso, right? I, I, I defy anyone to listen to this version of Mustang Sally. For me, this commitments version of Mustang Sally is the best one I've heard. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I just think it is the best. And you mentioned about hard to handle, Chris. I, I, I think for me, the Black Crows one is the Black Crows version is the same. So I don't kind of think of the commitments version as quite being at the top of the tree for that but yeah mustang sally it's just brilliant it's, it's like i don't know um sweet home alabama who can hear that and not kind of sing along surely exactly. no one exactly yeah. i agree i agree Dave. And that's a little bit of a, a little link to today's film dave because sweet home alabama was in con air and jimmy rabbit's dad was also the fbi agent's car that got destroyed by john cusack so um, there you go. That's, oh that's, that's so a reach. Unique. That is a reach nice. and half up. There you go. Now that is seven <laughs> degrees of bacon level. Is <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> a reach and a half? That was amazing. Are you doing like a seven, <laughs> six degrees of con air? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll have to do that. That yeah. is such a that is a shit show. When are you guys doing that one? Oh, hey. We we've had requests for that one, haven't we? I mean, yeah. We're gonna have to do that. That mullet is legendary. I mean, you guys will have, yeah. Nick Cage's mullet. You guys have been giving Nick Cage a lot of love in the other show recently too. So, hey, hey, Chris has been giving him a lot of love. I thought both <laughs> of those Ghost Rider abominations were terrible, but right, for some on. reason, Chris loved it. Hang on, hang on, Tony. <laughs> have you seen? Have you seen Red Rock West by Nick Cage? I saw it in the theater. It is good so one. good. I yes, exactly. Yeah. That is a good film for Nicolas Cage, Dave. We'll have to review that at some point. That is a good film. Yeah, I actually <laughs> saw it. It was a, it was a. I was living in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and there was this little tiny like um, theater above a store, and they would like just do you know it was a junky, nasty place, but they would play art house movies. And I one day I was like, what the hell is that? And I went and saw it. Yeah, I thought that was fantastic. Thank you, Tony. See, Dave, he's not all bad, you know. Cameron Poe's a legend, by the way, Conair. Don't be slagging him off. <laughs> Cyrus the virus. And the fact that he lands in Vegas is even better for me. My that second home. Terrible movie. <laughs> I... Hey, hey, hang on. If a child can convert a paedophile by playing dollies with him, what's wrong with that? You know, oh Steve Bashimi, that was horrendous. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. That whole I mean, I honestly like. I'm a big John Cusack fan too, and he has admitted that he has said like he did that movie so that they would give him money. He'd make enough money to like go make Gross Point Blank and like do these other movies that were good. Uh, oh, you know, yeah, it's pretty bad, <laughs> but it's so bad that it's almost like Sharknado bad. Like I think everybody yeah. in Con Air knew what they were doing. They knew yeah. they were making this shit burger, right? Yeah, I love it. I don't mind it to be honest. I don't mind it, but uh, we'll have to revisit that, Dave. Yeah, sorry. We'll definitely I know. have Commitments. to do that anyway. <laughs> yeah. We better right. get. <laughs> Shall we get into our trailer? Let's go. Yeah. Hey, what's this? What's what? Have you got soul? If so, the world's hardest working band is looking for you. Contact Jay Rabbit. Putting a band together. Do you need a singer? Wise men say. Who are your influences? Led Zeppelin. Sinead O'Connor. Uh, Barry Manilow. Joan Bias. Uh, Joni Mitchell. Uh... Wings. Well, what kind of music are we going to be playing, Jimmy? Soul. Soul? That's what you've got to measure up to, lads. Well, like, maybe we're a little white.
see if you could play before I pay for them. You're trying to tell me you played with B.B. King? Marta Reeves, Sam Cooke, Aldous Redding. Lads, you're looking at the commitment. Brilliant management, Brother Rabbit. <laughs> on a professional basis. <laughs> How are we professional if we've never been paid? It feels much better being an unemployed musician than an unemployed pipe fitter. All you gotta do Now we start off, we're on the north side of Dublin and Jimmy Rabbit is a young music fanatic who wants to put together an Irish soul band based on all the 1960s African-American recording artists. Now, Tony, what do you make about the opening of this movie? Well, I love the, well, first of all, the opening song is actually the guy who plays Jimmy Rabbit singing. That's him. Oh, right. he, yeah, he, he tried out to be, I think he actually tried out to be Deco. And uh, the Alan Parker liked it. He was such a good actor. He's like, no, I need you to be Jimmy and, and we'll have you record something anyway. So that's actually him singing, which is amazing to, to find out that that's what, like he, he could have easily been in the band. Um, so I love that. I love that opening track. And then I just like the voiceover. Generally, I think voiceovers are bad. Mm-hmm. I think a movie that has a ton of voiceover is going to be, take me out of it. But because of the, tr- the way that they set it up, that he's constantly interviewing himself uh, is hysterical. <laughs> yeah. And I like it. I like the, the way that it shows Ireland and uh, um, you get a good sense of where they live and how they live just by that opening you know, five or 10 minutes. Yeah. And I think this, this was, it's hard to think back because obviously this was 91 and, you know, it, it was kind of a depressed time, you know, not much, if you were young and growing up at that time, there wasn't really a, a great deal of, there weren't many prospects for you, you know, and I, I was thinking back, because it, it reminds me now with hindsight, looking back a little bit of, of the full Monty, which oh, yeah. came yeah. out years later, it came out, was it 90, it was more the late 90s when that came out, but it was it was a similar sort of idea that, you know, you've got a bunch of people and they've got no prospects, so what are they going to do? And uh, no, I, I thought it was interesting, because in my mind, this and the full Monty were around about the same time, and I guess you could say they were the 90s, but they were opposite ends of the 90s. And so, yeah, I, I just thought that was interesting. I, I did think, again, you know, being an aspiring muso myself, I remember trying to put together a band and I, I was a musician or, well, I played guitar, you know, and went yeah, into sure. my local uh, music shop and I'm like, uh, I need a drummer, I need a bass player, <laughs> I need a singer, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and got fucking nowhere. And so I thought, well, the idea of, you know, old Jimmy Rabbit, wanting to be the manager of a band starting with absolutely nothing and putting this band together i thought it was a bit of a stretch but you know just looking back at it now but again i think it's charming the way it all does kind of come together 
what do you make of it, Chris? Well, actually, uh, t- Tony's right before I get into it. Uh, Robert uh, Arkins, the guy who plays Jimmy Rabbit, he was actually Deco. He was cast as Deco and everything. And what happened was he was... What's interesting about this movie is literally every single person in the band, barring Joey the Lips Fagan, he's actually a musician. He's the only one who's an actor. They were actually going to give his part, Dave, to Van Morrison. But Van Morrison was an absolute arse in the um, auditions. And they were like, no, we're all right. So they went with this... He's called Johnny Murphy. But Robert Arkins was Deco. He had the part. And Tony's right. He sang uh, Treat Her Right. And he also uh, sang on the album Slip Away as well. He was, he was That's a, right. That's yeah, right. Slip, yeah. He, was, he was an aspiring musician. He's won uh, countless um, contests in Ireland and everything. But the reason Andrew Strong got the part, right, he was actually 16 when he made this movie, which is unbelievable, which was like the late 90s, uh, late 80s they made it. Uh, 8990 was his dad was the vocal coach for the film yeah. and he was doing a practice version of Mustang Sally and that's how he got the part but most of the cast in the band had no uh, no previous acting uh, things they'd never done anything they were all like singers and, and guitarists and everything Jimmy Rabbit Robert, he'd never done anything and he literally only did a couple of things after it sort of short films and everyone else was the same but obviously, from there, there's a few people like uh, Bronna Gallagher. She's just been in Brassic too in the UK, and she's been in various other things over the years. And uh, the, the, all three of the girls have been in loads of things in the UK, Tony, in films and stuff as well. So, it's well, quite and she's um, she's Bronna Gallagher's in uh, Pulp Fiction. Yes, yes, she is. Yes, you're yeah. right. Yeah. And, and it's it, these loads that came from this movie. But yeah, just that, that uh, Robert Arkin thing is amazing because he's got a cracking voice. But however. We've got to talk about Andrew Strong as we get into the film, definitely. But yeah, as as it starts this movie, it's of its time, Dave. I mean, I think looking at the kids as he's going around the market and that it was classed as third world, which he mentions in the movie. However, yeah, for a country, what can you do? Exactly, yeah. And <laughs> and, and I think I think I think what's interesting is the the best person in this movie for me is his fucking dad at times. His dad <laughs> is hysterical. We, even now, like my wife Sam told me, she's not watched it for a long time and she knows I watch it every year religiously, but we watched it and both of us were laughing our heads off today. It wasn't a forced laugh. I've literally only just finished it because I said, I want to make sure that my palate's dra- you know, ready for when we go into this. And we've, we've I've you keep, not left You keep your palate dry. <laughs> Almost. I kept it wet today. That's what I meant. I didn't go that far saying dry, but yeah. but genuinely, we watched it and absolutely love it. I love that. It's just some of the jokes he's saying. Fucking, he comes on in Joe and he goes, "What? He's fucking. Uh, he's come from God." Whatever. He goes, "What?" And a fucking Suzuki, you know, and all that sort of thing. It's just having a granddad who's Irish and probably like yourself, Tony. Have a family, and, and I, I don't know if you've got uh, Irish family members, Dave. Families from the northwest and and a lot in Liverpool, so yeah, definitely. You have Irish, yeah, definitely, yeah. No, but it's that it's that like humour of just every other word has got fucking hit. Obviously, I like saying. Well, and I thought yeah. I I wonder. I was gonna look, you know, like the band Blink One Eighty Two. They called themselves Blink One Eighty Two because there's another band called Blink, and they went with and they were like, well, you can't do that. So they added One Eighty Two because that's the number of times that the, the word fuck is said in Scarface. And I thought. <laughs> right. I guarantee that there, that the commitment says it more. And I'm sure there's a counter out there and I was going to look it up and I forgot. But yeah, the amount, I mean, even the opening scene, like at the, at the, Amelia, at Amelia's um, sister's wedding, there's like kids jumping around and they knock that old man over who's sleeping and he just says, fuck off. And like, <laughs> and it's just like, I laugh every time at like how 
terrible they are to each other. Like the way that they talk to each other, every other word is definitely fucking. It's so yeah. funny. It, it's relatable, old Tony, because my whole family speaks like that. And especially when I've met the, <laughs> met the Irish side of the family many times, every other word is fucked. So I think that's just, it's perfect. And I think maybe the fact they weren't actors and actresses works better because it was more natural just to be themselves. And, and I think that's, I think it's probably why he's so relatable to myself. Now, at the risk of being the heel in this scenario, I think the fact Steady. that they don't... No, so it's charming. I, I enjoy the movie, so I'll, I'll put that straight out there. But I think the quality of acting does come across a bit, to be honest. I, I haven't watched this movie for years. Um, like I say, I hadn't really watched it that much back in the day. And it, it just does come across like just a bit wooden. Now, considering you know they hadn't had the acting experience it's bloody good you know when you start from that level but i i don't think it's not top quality acting is it no no except for cole meanie and i actually i think that uh the guy who plays jimmy actually i think he he really robert arkins i think he does a pretty good job considering he you know he was not an actor um i i think that uh yeah cole meanie's there to hold it together and they actually go on and make because the Barrytown trilogy is uh, the whole rabbit family. There's three stories about them. So they made three movies and Cole Meany's the only character who's in all of them playing Jimmy Rabbit Sr. in the other movies as well, the mm-hmm. man and the snapper. And, um, and it's like, because like you said, Chris, he's so funny. So I think without him, the movie would definitely fall apart uh, because he, those twins are terrible. They creep me out. Um, <laughs> and that was clearly them practicing, trying to speak in sync the whole time just to make us uncomfortable. So yeah, the acting is not great, but because you only have to deal with the acting for about seven or eight minutes and then you get a song. Yeah. So you're, yeah, okay. yeah. I, I'll be honest with you, Dave. Sorry, Dave, to cut across you. I, I agree. I think the only person in this movie that always pisses me off, right? And maybe because I was jealous, because when I was growing up, I always had a crush on Imelda Quirk. However, as I've got older, I have appreciation for Natalie as well. Um, but I must say, is fucking how the fuck did Joey the Lips get all them girls? Because he's... he's Legend. No Legend, Chris. <laughs> well, the Thomas as, says... As a bunch of middle-aged blokes, I can appreciate what he's done there. <laughs> Because <laughs> the drummer says to him, he goes, he must be putting his fucking dick in steroids. Obviously, there's no Viagra then, but it's just, it's fucking unbelievable. That, but he, the only bit that I ever cringe when I watch this movie is when he's putting, he's put like the fucking shaft music on. And he's, shaft. Yeah, oh, the it's fucking shaft Bernie. Ter- Bernie, it's awful. terrible. That is <laughs> terrible. Even now watching it, I was sat there like, fuck me. And I'm so glad when she gets up and goes, shut the fuck up. And just fucking, you know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> Well, and I think I, I, they're all supposed to be in their 20s. They're yeah. not, you know, if Joey is, you know, he's like, you're as old as me, dad. And he, that's what he says. And he's like, that may be true. Like, you know, actually know how old Joey is, but he's obviously a a dirty old man who is like hooking up with 20 something year old women. And it is, it doesn't make any sense. It That is one of the things that actually is straight out of the book that happens in the book too. They all hook up with him. The only difference is at the end, Milda explains that um, it was supposed to just be a joke. They were like actually going to try to scare him off. Um, and then it ended up, then they all kind of liked him. And it was like you said, Dave, though, like the legend, the legend of joke, because he's, they all believe his the bullshit. Lips. Legend so of the his lips. Fame. Yeah, the legend of the lips. <laughs> Driving a Suzuki, yeah. He was, yeah. Such, he was such a blagging bastard, wasn't he? All the way yeah. through. And I'm oh. watching it and thinking, how is anyone falling for this but I, I must admit Chris 
I'm a hundred percent with you. I always had a crush on him, Elder. Yeah, hundred percent. Hundred percent, and and I think, you know, it, what, what I love as well, and you probably the same, Tony, if you watch the books of bees. But when they're doing the auditions, and the fucking guys are in the toilets, and they go, Elvis is a Cajun. Fucking love that. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking blasphemy, you know. It's yeah. fucking. Lo- and then we always do it, and you know, I always say on the shows, Tony and Dave, like we have these, and these all these daft sayings in the family, and like I always say, like from different films, Lethal Weapon, Beverly Hills Cop, we have stuff. Everybody does <laughs> Our Adam, my brother, always says if something's going on, he goes, fucking Billy in the bollocks when he's saying hey, what your inspiration is. But that guy, when he knocks on the fucking door and he goes, he goes, what are you here for? He goes, have you been, what did he say? He goes, I used to play football at school. And he goes, what are you? I what sort you? of queuing up. I thought you were selling drugs and he still pays <laughs> <Yeah>. me piss. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, he's so earnest the whole time. That guy was yeah. like, oh, I think... Well, that, that audition scene is hysterical um, for so many d- different ways. The the way that the rabbit family just lets him do that in their house yeah, is yes. also mind-boggling. I think it's like, what? And that just says what a saint Mrs. Rabbit is. Yeah. Because uh, she's there, she's singing along when the, when the one girl singing the thing from Les Mis and she's singing along with him. And it was... It was a really nice thing that they did that in the house because it lets you understand who the rabbit family are and that as much as they tell each other to fuck off, literally every 40 seconds, they all genuinely must like each other because there's no way in hell if my daughters were putting together a band, I want that happening in my house. No, and I think I think Tony, me and Dave, having been in bands, is you know what the audition process is like. Obviously, we've never gone from scratch. It's always been someone replacing somebody, but you get some shit turning up. And I say that with the greatest respect because I'm not the best singer in the world, but we've had some shit, Dave, haven't we, when we've auditioned oh. people? And it's a bit like that, Tony. You like you audition with someone, and you're all there going, and and they might say. So what do you think? And you're dying to say, well, actually, you fucking shit, but you've got to pack up a drum kit or you've got to pack up a bass amp and fuck off or a guitar and fuck off. So you sort of go, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, well, definitely being taught, you know, proper being cowards. And then it's like, see, yeah, you know, but uh, that whole thing, and I think you're right, Tony, is the fact that up and down the stairs is different ones. And my fact, with, with the Irish uh, connection, the Irish dancing, my nieces still do, well, one of my nieces still does Irish dancing now. Um, English born, but obviously the family's at, and she still does it. And you see the girls doing the Irish dancing to one of the songs. Yeah. It's just like, this is fucking nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like a murderer. So the thing about the commitments, you mentioned the people who go on. So the girl who plays Sharon in this, like the, the oldest sister, is the lead singer of the band, The Coors. Like yes. she goes on to do that. And that um, outspan is uh, Glenn Hazard, who won an Oscar for once. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. I know it's like crazy that they that like the people that are in this movie and they you know that that like you mentioned, Dave, these are all musicians. I mean, here they are doing this and the you know and like the Irish dance and you can't tr- teach that. They just had to be able to do it. So it's like the amount of crazy talent that's in this movie is also great, but it is pretty funny because they had them do some of the stupidest shit ever. The guy <laughs> who's dressed up like Jimmy Page, yeah. He's just, <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> fucking boy George one. He just opens the right. door and he just fucking slams it in his face. Like, fuck <laughs> off. 
Yeah. He shows up in one of their shows. He's in the crowd. The maybe. first one, he is. He pays a ticket yeah. to that Micka Walsh, doesn't he? Yeah, and and he's right. looking at Micka Walsh. He's like, what the fuck's going on here? Yeah. Oh, that's very <laughs> cool. Sorry, Dave, we're gushing over this, aren't we? I'm no, no, not at all. Not that. at all. I mean, it, it is a lot of fun. And like, like you say, you, you kind of think back and doing your own auditions and all that sort of stuff. And having, you know, he's obviously advertised a soul band and you realise how many people just don't read the fucking adverts so they turn up, you know... Right. wanting to do all sorts i think what one of the things that sprung to my mind again not watched this for years but when we watched like kung fu movies chris so your favorite snake in the monkey's shadow one Fuck of the things, one of the things favorite. i know he's got the poster on as well <laughs> one of the things i say is you know it's it's a struggle it is a stretch sometimes when you're watching someone when they're supposed to be crap and they're just not really pulling it off you can tell that they're actually quite good the sax player i i can't remember what his name is but the guy who's playing the saxophone i i just never really bought for one second he was he wasn't very good you know so he's playing it and he's trying to get better and better and he's practicing and then he gets pretty good at the end but then he starts to get a bit out of his lane you know he starts to want to play a bit of jazz you know which uh causes jimmy a bit of angst and what have you so yeah that was that was one of the things that um that jumped out at me i just wasn't buying it for a second dave no no can i just say though if there's someone else a dean that fucking jumps out that i'm not buying for a second he's when joey is learning him to fucking play better the sax he says just think of it like a nipple and uh yeah he picks a 14 year old girl across the road i mean sam went yeah oh fucking hell i was like oh my god and then he went kim basinger and i was thinking right go on higher higher for me mate (laughs) jesus christ yeah and that was the joke right is that he picked the girl across the street and that was why he couldn't play because he felt bad well then what are you doing yeah Yeah. Yeah, operation u tree that yeah yeah. So fucking wrong, but but again, like when when they're practicing for the first, what I love actually, I, I quickly I know where we've pretty much at the start of the movie, but when he goes to the wedding, that fucking guy who's like some karaoke, like Adam Sandler, the wedding singer, and he's giving yeah. him the full. He looks like one of the guys out of the police academy, the sidekick of um, Captain. Is it? Uh, oh, he's the bloody captain who goes to the Blue Oyster Bar, but he looks like his sidekick, and he's singing away with a big quiff and that, and it's when. Andrew Strong gets on and he's singing that song. And and yeah. you say about someone pretending not to sing, Dave, like, you know, not, you know, be within themselves like a karate movie or like, you no know, cheat, no surrender yeah. and stuff like that. I think personally, and I'm saying to Sam when we watch it then, he is one of the best voices I've heard ever. And, and as an appreciation of someone who could sing, and obviously I always say I'm not a great singer, but... I wish I was born with that fucking talent because his voice is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And he's only 16 when he's doing it. He's fucking brilliant. I don't know what they're feeding him on as well because if he was fucking 16 at that time, no. <laughs> Jesus he's Christ. a big guy. He's a big guy. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. That's why when you hear that, the first time I, I remember the first time I saw that was like on the extras of one of the. You know, when I, I think I knew that right away. It's like, because I have the 15th anniversary DVD and it may have actually been then. That's when I found out that he was only 16. That was just mind boggling because, right, he's huge. He's bigger than everyone else in the band. And, uh, you know, and I, I know the drinking rules are different there. And I don't, we don't know how old he's supposed to be. He works on a, he's got a job. Um, I think in the book, he's definitely a bit older. He's their age. Uh, you know, he's in his, he's in his early 20s. 
But that at no point did you see that guy and think, eh, he's, he doesn't pass for 20. Um, I've seen him recently and his obviously without the bad ponytail, but he looks pretty <laughs> much exactly the same. Like he just hasn't aged. So maybe he just came out that way. And <laughs> just yeah. grew into his face. <laughs> he just, yeah, that, right, that voice, there is, it is ungodly um, yeah. how good he is. And the fact that he isn't, you know, like a superstar blows my mind. I, the I fact agree. That, that he, I know he's put out a few records and on the soundtrack, on the second edition of the soundtrack, there's just songs that are just him uh, doing some stuff that's non-commitment stuff. But mm-hmm. The fact that he is just not, I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of people who are like current singers, and I listen to a lot of music, I know you guys do, who, who have a voice like that, uh, that could just do anything. I can't really think of anybody. So it's really weird to me, um, you know, that he didn't, and maybe he didn't want to, maybe, you know, there's just certain kind of music he likes to sing, but yeah, he is, that is, that is a lot of talent that just coming out of him without even trying. It is. It is crazy. I mean, he did. He he has stayed in music. I mean, he's toured with the likes of the Rolling Stones, Elton John, Prince, Lenny Kravitz, Brian Adams. Oh, okay. That's amazing. Yeah. So, so he's he's done okay for himself. But I agree with you, Tony. I don't really understand why he isn't a massive superstar. He should be. He should be. He should be. And I know, like you said, that they did a reunion about four or five years ago in Dublin. Did three nights and. Like Tony says, he's got no hair now, but his voice is exactly the same. He's not lost any of it, Dave. And uh, I've seen loads of stuff on YouTube. I always go in like a bit of a meander just to see him live because I'm not, he's done loads of original stuff and it's not really my sort of stuff, but just to appreciate that voice is fucking phenomenal. That is like a voice from the gods. You know, when you hear yeah. like uh, certain uh, lady singers and they've just got this voice from nowhere and you're like, oh my. Like Jennifer Hudson has got a phenomenal voice. Right, that's and, a great and, example. Yeah. And you're like, fucking hell, that is... Um, and, and I think for men, like I have a big good appreciation of people like Elton John, you know, uh, George Michael was a phenomenal singer, you know, because Absolutely. live, yeah, yeah. they never, ever changed. The best one live out of all of them for me and nobody, uh, there was Paul Rogers out of three, Bad Company was great and, he, and he, he had a phenomenal voice, but Freddie Mercury is without doubt one oh, of the best well. ever. Yeah. Uh, for just, just pure talent. And also on a side note, Tony, I don't know if you've ever seen, but Mark Martell is the guy who did his voice in the film. We want to watch him on YouTube. Mark Martell. Oh, I'll have to check it out. Phenomenal. Yeah. I, I... That movie, I loved that movie, and I thought, you know, and you're like, well, that's not Rami Malek doing that voice, but um, yeah, no, I agree, Freddie Mercury, and I heard you guys talking last week, you may be doing the Highlander soon, which um, (laughs) there's, there has not been a, that is the greatest movie soundtrack in the world. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the movie, it's one of my all-time favorite movies, and it's really not very good. And I just, every time I watch it, I think, is it just that Queen's holding this together for me? Am I getting through this? Because, like you mentioned with this movie, the acting's not great, but there's always a song, so I just forget. Like, I'm I'm just, I know the next song is coming, so I'm going to be okay, because Andrew Strong's going to sing, and it'll be great. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that, um, Who Wants to Live Forever... I I, oh. I I can't listen to that without getting a lump in my throat. It's just, and it's so perfect for that movie Highlander. I, I yeah. Again, I, I think we're definitely going to have to go. It's been a few years since I've watched that. I don't think it's going to stand up very well. Um, you know, and I don't think I buy Christopher Lambert as a Scott uh, as much as I can buy. Really? Huh. Um, What's his face? Uh, Sean Connery is a Portuguese <laughs> swordsman. He's an but... Egyptian Spaniard. Oh, that's it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Egyptian, yeah. I think. But um, 
whatever he is, he's Scottish, isn't he? That's the thing, whether it's a Russian submarine commando or or, or whatever. So, no, it was, um, so so that that reunion, Chris, was 2011, so it's nine years ago. (laughs) It was a while ago. But yeah, I do, you know, one of my favourite lines, though, that I picked up on uh, old Andrew Strong in this one was uh, when they were all in the ice cream van, and he's like, we need to fart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all opening up. Oh, fucking hell. But yeah, I can't believe he was 16. I mean, he looks yeah. at least kind of 30. <laughs> Obviously, they're not even playing him as a kid because he's a bus conductor, isn't he? So he's, yeah. he's right, like the yeah. fucking the bus depot when Jimmy goes to get him. But there's stuff there, like like I say about my family again, and the bit when the fucking drummer's got to play the drum kit in, in the pawn shop and he's playing away and that woman's going mental and she, oh, she goes... Yeah, hey, fucking carrot head and my brother always ginger, took it. ginger, fucking ginger. Shut it. Yeah, shut it. Yeah. My brother, carrot head as well. The dancer says to his brother, right, yeah, always, that's hey, right. His brother always just says, Hey, carrot head, you know, just fucking stupid things out of these films we watched as kids are still in our sort of subconscious, just general chit chat when we're together. It's ridiculous, but yeah, there's some absolutely uh, comedic lines in this that just get me every time. They shouldn't, but they're the just so coarse in that in the lift. You're not taking that up in the lift, are you? He's like, yeah. of course, the stairs will kill him. Yeah. And there's no explanation. Why are you fucking taking a horse upstairs? <laughs> this tenement building? What the fuck is going on? And it's never explained. And it's just genius. And so Jimmy, you don't see how he gets up there. So does Jimmy ride up in the lift? With a horse? Yeah, it's fucking... And we think he's all told it. You, you laugh about that, you know. That was the sort of thing that went on in flats. I'm not just saying that. These are the sort Insane. of things that in Ireland, honestly, I'm not bullshitting you. People that have fucking horses and stuff in houses and stuff. I don't what know about a flat. I don't know about flats, but in, in houses, <laughs> definitely. It's ridiculous. You've obviously seen The Godfather. You know, The Godfather as well. That was obviously, we mentioned it in our review, but that's a real horse's head, wasn't it, as well? Which was yeah, unbelievable. It's, it's fucking... Anyway, I've gone a right tangent now, haven't I? But anyway, sorry, Dave. Go on. No, I think I think you're right, though. It is. There's tons of funny stuff like that, and that was and the horse. Every time I watch it, I know it's coming, and I'm gonna laugh every yeah. fucking time. And the, I can't I can't help it because it's just the absurdity of it. And I and every time I see that scene, um, and it, well, this time when I saw it, when you go when he goes to Bernie's house, and I was like, on the other side of that shithole, they're filming Judge Dredd. Like it's it's the it's the same kind of you know block that goes straight up. Like yeah. what is this hell? Like there's a scene when um Jimmy and, and Dean are going to get the gear and there's like kids smashing windows. Yeah. Like what what where is that? like what the fuck is going on? That that's just what a bunch of six year olds are doing, they're just smashing out windows. Yeah. It, and they don't nobody even blinks at it. I think that's you know, and again, a, a island kind of um it did get pulled into the first world, didn't it? You know, in and around this time, I think. And But I think it was a really rough, you know, certainly in the more deprived areas, I think it was a pretty rough place to grow up. Oh, God, yeah. Honestly, it was. It genuinely was. And, and I think... I think what's interesting, it captures that so well. And I think that I know you said about people being wooden, Dave. I would say Outspan, the ginger, you know, the bass player, the guitarist, and his mate, the other mm-hmm. one, who's yeah. going to be sick and that. They are pretty poor acting wise i'll give you that definitely because like when he's trying to be sick in the first gig and the, his brother's written heroin with an e and stuff and yeah, yeah. Um, that's when you, you were saying before about boy george turning up in the actual <laughs> session yeah. um that is that he's pretty poor and he's trying to be pretending to be sick and that however 
again, the, the music, like you said, Tony, is it just a case of the nostalgia of the music? But I just love everything about I love the fact that his dad comes in at the end and he's bopping away and Jimmy looks at him and says, what the fuck are you looking yeah. at? You know? <laughs> However, one of my favourite stories in the film is because they all think that Joey's a bit of a bullshitter. And then some of the things he's coming up is when he sat with his mum and dad about Elvis and his dad, yeah. uh, Vernon, oh being sick in his trumpet. <laughs> what a story. <laughs> What a story. <laughs> and then he's like, have you ever, when when Jimmy Sr.'s like, did you ever in any of the time you were hanging out with, El, with Grace, in Graceland, did you ever see Elvis do drugs? And he says no. He looks at him straight <laughs> yeah. in the face and says no. He's like, I knew it. He gives yeah. him the uh, the exact answer that he wants, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he says to he goes, yeah, he goes, you little bollocks. I told you he'd never done that. You know, because <laughs> they've got, he's typical of, of people like that. He's got a picture of the fucking, of Jesus or the Pope, and then above it's Elvis. The yeah, the Pope yeah. Elvis yeah. is above. <laughs> <laughs> now, what, what oh. do you reckon about the drummer? Because I, I, when I was watching it back, I, I remember at the time and thinking I, I wasn't really sure about what the whole point of that, you know, one drummer leaving and then you get Micah um, replacing him and he's a bit of a head the ball, isn't he? So he turns out to be the band muscle as well. I, I just didn't see the point of that bit of the story. I think the whole, the only reason I think they do it, and that is, that again is something that, um, there's a lot that, that, that didn't come through from the book at all, but there's some that are like word for word lines. It was crazy. And I had totally forgotten that, but I'm with you. Like I, I, you know, I didn't remember why that was there. The only thing I can think of is that it's everybody hates Deco so much. Yeah. And so the only thing I can think the reason you have to have Billy quit is because he hates Deco so much that he said he's on probation. Right. And if I stay, I'm going to, he even says that, you know, I'm going to shove this drumstick up your uh, up your hole and not the one you sing out of. Yeah. And so uh, I think I think that was it. It was just to show that the band was dysfunctional and they, you know, it wasn't going to last. So if nobody quits, um, you know, why would they suddenly break up at the end? So that was the only thing I could think of was just to show what a mess it was. Uh, no, that, I think you've just explained it for me. I, I I think you're absolutely right, aren't you? I guess I guess it does a couple of things, doesn't it? It shows that there is no band harmony. So even though they're going places, you know, because because none of them were before, you know, Deco right. was just pissed up, didn't even remember singing at the, at the wedding, did he? You know, he was <laughs> right, that pissed right. and still belted out of those of those pipes. So yeah, and and ultimately, you know, he he does in the end get a bit of a pace, then doesn't he? Just just from a different drummer. <laughs> yeah, I think I beat the shit out of him. Yeah, I, I think I think what's interesting though, and and that's probably the only reach in this movie that everything else I can buy is you know, and you've been in bands, Tony. All three of us have got an experience of being in bands, and you know, I can literally not even hold a beat on the drums. Is the fact that he's kicking the shit out of the drums, and he's literally <laughs> a competent blues drummer in the soul, you know, soul. He's a competent soul drummer in the space of a couple of weeks, yeah. and he's he's, he's he's teeing them up with the proper timing. Now, my timing was shit at the best of times, and to be a drummer, like our old drummer, one of them, we used to call that uh, Ace of the Human Metronome, didn't we? Because he, he he literally would have his timing to a T, very uh, thingy on it. But it, it was I was I thought that's it the was only because thing. it was only a matter of time before he was fucking moaning about something. <laughs> 
mean, we could have oh. done with, we could have done with Mika in the van in the in the actual band, couldn't we, Dave? <laughs> but it's true though. I tell you one thing, Tony, and, and having done it, and Dave did it for longer than me, but. I did it for 10 years, literally. I did it for eight years solid without a break. And then I had like about a year off and then come back and another year. So it was a 10-year span. Every band's the same as that. We weren't as kicking off as what they are. But tell you now, the fucking moaning and bitching and fucking, oh, it's horrendous. And that's one of the reasons I get out of it. Because it's you put on this thing of having this amazing gig and you might have two, three, four, five hundred people. We've had more than that at some of the gigs, haven't we, Dave? Like we've had just some phenomenal gigs and we might go to a pub where we've got three people. And, and But you'd be in somewhere and you'd have like this amazing gig and it was like you were rock stars and you'd be there. Everyone goes home, you're packing up your gear and someone would go, oh, you fucking missed that bit. It's usually me missing the lyrics or something. He's missed that bit or whatever. But there was always a conversation to be had about someone who's fucked up. Instead of just taking the glory, and this is fine analysing your performance, but just take it for the fact that people have come over to you saying, your band's phenomenal, it's brilliant. Because I always used to laugh saying, I'm the least talented one in the band, but I get the most attention because I'm the big guy at the front, you know? So it's like, yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. And, and, and it used to, and, and honestly, what they do here is like in a band, we're up to a fucking thousand. It's literally everyone just yeah. hates each other. But when they get on stage, there is a click and there is a, like most bands, once they're on stage, the chemistry is there. And once they leave it, everyone's like, I fucking hate you. But I know that we're good <laughs> together, you know, so. I, I must admit, Chris, you're right. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, because you've got that many members, you know, so they've got the brass section, they've got three backing singers, as well as your standard drummer, bass, guitarist, and whatever. And I, was, I remember thinking like, fuck that. <laughs> yeah. My, yeah. For me, Royal Blood have got it right. Fucking two of them. <laughs> <laughs> the white stripes. Yeah. I was always in search of a three-piece. I was thinking that is the minimum you can get away with. You know, guitar, bass, drums, happy days, you know. but Yeah, but mo- even like the greatest three-piece of all time, the police couldn't stay together. Well, I mean, that's, that's true, but I, I was... You know what I mean? Like, as a three-piece band, that's like my favorite three-piece band. I think they're like Stuart Copeland is... Talk about drummers... Sun Rises and Sets with Stuart Copeland, who, by the way, did the soundtrack for Highlander 2. You're welcome. Nice, nice. <laughs> Piece of shit movie. But he, um, they couldn't even stick together. And I'm sure it's because, you know, Sting is Sting. But yeah, no, I agree, I think. I mean, my band, we were just a college band. We were bad. Um, we couldn't keep a drummer. We were a punk band, and we couldn't get a drummer who could go fast enough. And um, and then when we finally did, it just the, our bass player who put the band together got into um, a master's program in marine biology at Duke University. So that ended that he went, he went to North Carolina and that was the end of that. (laughs) I thought you were going to bring up like the first ever social distancing song. (laughs) Don't stand so close to me. (laughs) Don't stand so close to me. That's true. No, no, you're right about the yeah. three piece, but but I, I guess I wasn't thinking yeah, of that example. No. But I, that's what I was always thinking. No, I just, I, yeah, I agree. Three, Me- yeah, there's what nine of them in the commitments. It's absurd. And then also as well, he's thinking it from financial thing. They get two hundred pound for playing the roller disco. That's not even paying for the fucking bus fare and a bag of chips on yep. the way home. So <laughs> you're getting nothing out of that. You're purely doing it for the love for the band. Even if they made it big, I, as someone who used to sort of run our band, I was like the the, the, the manager. One of them used to organise the gigs and the money and everything. And I'd be like, right, yeah. And it used to. I hated it. I must admit, towards the end, it was just too many cogs. Get can you rehearse? No. Can you rehearse tonight? No. What about that? No. I'm not doing that sort of right, whatever. And and it used to just get to me. But 
divvying up the money. We did used to at least have our petrol money, Dave, and yeah. a little bit in our pocket, didn't we? But with these guys, I was just thinking completely as someone who, who was in the band, and you might have been the same. I was thinking, you're getting fuck all out of this one. Yeah. You might as well just say to the, the manager, keep the money for better equipment because you're getting nothing. What What was it, Jimmy? What was it they got paid? Because they didn't get paid for the first gig, did they? I don't think. Uh, 200 it, they got the roller disco and that guy come. Yeah, and he gave him, he went to chin him when he had the fight with them guys because he says that Mick was. He goes, 200 quid? Oh my God. You know, fucking 200 quid as if say it's amazing. You yeah. know, so. But by the time you split it all up, like you say, it's nothing, is it? I was always no. happy with petrol money and a, you know, couple of beers that, you know, that yeah. did me. Yeah, me too. Me too. Anyway, we've gone well off there, haven't we, Dave? Yeah, sorry. No, yeah, that's my fault. Sorry, Tony. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, think, I think that, uh, I think you're right. It's, uh, um, there's a band that I, I like a lot of, uh, uh, kind of big bands. Uh, I think that's a fun, like the Brian Setzer Orchestra, um, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. And you think, God, there's like Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, I think has nine people in it. And I, and it's been pretty much the same lineup the whole time. And I, I never have really understood how you can, how you can pull that off because uh, like you said, it's not just competing egos. It's uh, you know, it's how, how can you, how can you all get along and want to live a life and then grow up and be adults? I mean, the commitments obviously are completely short-sighted. They have no idea what they're doing. They're just looking for something to do. Cause what none of them work in this. No, that's Derek has a job, right? Derek works in the yeah. meat factory. Yeah. And, and uh, Natalie the guts fish. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Deco the bus conductor. But I mean, it's just like there, there, there was never a chance for them to succeed. And I think part of what I love about the commitments is that they're so blind to that. Like they're so caught up in the love of the music and that it tricks you. The thing that makes it such a good movie is we get tricked. They're such a good band. Yeah. They're so good. Deco's voice is amazing. Like you said, the guy who plays Dean is clearly faking that he's a bad saxophonist. Yeah. They're great. So you get to caught up in how good they are. And like you said, Chris, when they're on stage, everybody clicks. And even at the very end, their very last song when they do tenderness, you know, he's Deco singing to the to the girls and they're singing back. And you know, they've just been in the back telling him what a fat fuck he is. <laughs> and then they're out, like, singing to him and everything. And it's so, and so we get caught up and we think they're going to be fine. Jimmy's getting them a record deal. But of course, that was never going to happen. And that's the trick that they play on us. The whole movie, we're caught up in their talent instead of the reality that there is 0% chance these people should even be in the same room. It's true because at the end as well, Sean Hughes is the guy who offers him like yeah. studio time. He's a comedian yeah. that was quite big in the nineties and early two thousands in the UK. He's been on a TV show called Nevermind the Buzzcocks, and what he offers him is what a standard fucking originals band would get offered for call, wouldn't they? Dave, you know that you're yeah. in the originals, but when he just says. I'll give you a day recording with this, with the, you know, the sound engineer in the studio. And then Jimmy's like, oh my God, that's amazing. But that would have been nothing. They wouldn't have even recorded a song in one day. So it's like, nah. it it was a bit of a, that's the only thing just purely because we've been there and done it. Is it, that, it always gets me that thinking, not a chance. You wouldn't even record, you'd probably record a bit of the drums or something in a day. Yeah, I, I guess that's a bit of realism injected into a, a fantasy story yeah, though, isn't yeah. it so yeah yeah, yeah. It's just me being picky i suppose yeah <laughs> i guess because uh, do you think i don't know do we know if the author actually had a musical background or no he said he was a when he wrote this book he was an english teacher right yeah, right and, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah he did that so the barrytown trilogy like he's just a professional writer now rowdy doyle and he actually turned 
it into, there's a live musical of the commitments, which I would love to see. So they've turned it, not just like the mu- the movie on stage, but they like turn the songs into the story, you know, mm, like yeah, yeah. musical. I would love to see, it's never played over here. So I've never had a chance, but um, I, so he was an English teacher and I think he was until this movie came out. And then I think he got enough money where he could just go and write. So I don't know if he was in a band for sure, but he, cause the rest of his books aren't about music. They're just about like, uh, being a North Sider and um, dealing with how shitty of a life that is. Right. And even in the guts, he just recently, a couple years ago, did a follow-up called the guts mm-hmm. um, where uh, Jimmy's Jimmy has bowel cancer and he's, you know, an adult now and he's going through his, you know, midlife crisis over the fact that, but he's becomes a record producer and he owns a record shop. That's what Jimmy does. So he stays in music, but it's uh, um yeah, that's what I know. I know that when he did this, he did this like kind of part-time, like Stephen King wrote Carrie while he was teaching English. Yeah. Roddy Doyle wrote this while he was teaching English too. Nice, nice. And I guess Stephen King was never a high school girl either. So you can always write about yeah. things that you don't necessarily have first-hand experience of. But um, right, just, right. Can, Sorry, Dave, can I just say one thing? Uh, I didn't know that, Tony, that it was a trilogy till today when I was researching it, but the van I've seen, and I didn't realise that he was playing the same one, uh, Cone thing. Yeah, yeah, and the van I, is I, the, I didn't realise that. I've seen that. I think the van's the, the van the van and Snapper, the other two, like Commitments is the best one just because it's it's what it is. But I think of the other two, I actually think the van is a better is a better picture. Did you like the van? That's, that's yeah, it's a good film. Really cool. yeah, yeah, good film. I fill. really enjoyed that one. Yeah, yeah. 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 And the days, Snapper yeah. is Sharon gets pregnant, the older sister gets pregnant and um, has to like live at home and she lies to her parents who, who knock her up. That's what the snapper is about. Yeah. It's good one that, Dave. Sorry, Dave. Can I, no, I was just, because uh, our kind of experience in the studio, Chris, we, we it, it took us a few days, didn't it? But that's because of the sequential way we put the tracks down. So we all played together and then the guy wanted us to record each individual track. So you put your ghost track down with everyone so you can listen back and play along to it. Um, But then you actually mic up all the drum kit and everything and you put the real drum kit down. So, you know, the drummer's got the the ghost track in his ears, but he's playing along and, you know, each of the the drums is is mic'd up properly. And then you lay down the bass, then you put the guitars down, then the, the lead vocals, then the backing vocals, all of that. So when you do it that way, it takes quite a bit of time. But I think it was, I think it was like the first Black Sabbath album they all pretty much recorded, you know, in separate little booths. They recorded it playing together. I, 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 I don't know if you guys have ever heard it. It sounds fucking mint. And I'm sure, I'm sure, depending on the studio, and if, they, if they've if they got individual booths, you probably could record, you know, one to three tracks a day, I think, if you did it that way. Yeah. But there you go. <laughs> but not with the big, that is a proper tangent <laughs> no i loved it no i had no idea i mean because to me like i i don't know anything about it like we were like i said just a shitty band and um my what i know is like watching the documentary let it be right they're all just sitting around yeah, yeah. abby Rhodes playing and george martin's up there doing magic and so to me that's how you make a record that's yeah. how the greatest band in the world did it so that is if you've got a lot of money to burn on studio time <laughs> yeah well they own their studio exactly well. yeah, so, yeah. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But I, I tell you, one of the, the, getting back to the movie, so one of the twists that I'd forgotten, so obviously, you know, Jimmy the Lips 
I'm thinking, you know, he's never going to come through. How can they not see through this bullshitting bastards facade? But the fact that, that you know, they all split up and Jimmy wanders off. Joey. Jimmy? So Joey, Joey, Joey the was the bullshitter, but Jimmy, <laughs> Sorry, yeah, yeah. Jimmy <laughs> Rabbit, he was the manager, and he's buggered off. And then you get the limo heading off to the gig. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. <laughs> like, Sorry, Mr. Oh, Pickett. fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe next time. That, you know what that was like? That's like one of those stories you tell your grandkids, don't you? And then I nearly played football for this person, but I just wasn't. It's like being in the right place at the right time, and it's like, oh, <laughs> fucked it now. I couldn't help, but it reminded me of like you know the ending of Dumb and Dumber, where the you have the bikini um, bus (laughs) coming up, and he's we need a couple of oil boys. They're like, you're in luck. There's a town that way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love that. I I think because again, it goes to the entire point that they they could never. They were never going to be successful. And the fact that had Wilson Pickett showed up, that would have changed everything. They still would have, as you said, Chris, they all still would have hated each other, but their whole careers would have been different. Wilson Pickett shows up, sings one song with them. They're, that's it. They're all you know off to the stratosphere forever. But the fact that it didn't happen because it's like nothing about their lives was good. Like they're just shit. <laughs> shit happens yeah. to them all the time. And it was like an extra kick in the teeth, but... It, to me, it was the right ending. Yeah. Like, I think if, if the, this movie ends and the commitments are, you know, a worldwide success story, then that's bullshit. There's, there's, that's the wrong story to tell. So I love that just the dig at the end where Wilson Pickett was going to come and Jimmy has to realize how close he really was. Yeah. I mean, it's proper like Murphy's Law, isn't it? And I think if this movie had been made in Hollywood we would have got a different ending. You know, Wilson Pickett yeah. or someone would have would have gone along, watched them, and then signed them up on a deal. And everyone's cheering at the end. You know, they've signed up their deal, end film. <laughs> and it's just yeah. such... I, th- I think in British movies, it, it, it's kind of similar in that, you know, it's that kind of cynical view of the world, if you like, and more downbeat. But yeah, to actually snatch defeat from the jaws of victory there, I, I think it was the perfect ending, right. to be fair. I did too. I love it. I, and then, and then of course, Jimmy, you know, does his final outro where he's, you know, still interviewing himself as Terry. And uh, the fat, the last line is fucked if I know is the last line of the movie, which I think is just fantastic because you're like, right. With this whole thing was just a nightmare, but what is that? That's pretty profound. Jimmy, what does that mean? You know, I love as well, guys. Is when when he's we, Dave's right. We call him Joey the Lips. He's a fucking bullshit, and all the way through, he's not really delivered, but he's nailed all three of the backing singers. <laughs> he's gone completely against what Jimmy said about keeping it, you know, uh, professional. He's slagging the other guys off for having a pot because Joey's had all the girls. He then. You know, Wilson Pickett, we realised, was genuine. He actually did have it. He was giving him that bullshit story at the hotel about, uh, yeah, it wasn't good last time we were there. He's blagged his mum and dad that he knew Elvis and he was sick. his dad was sick in his trumpet. But it's when, I fucking love that line when Jimmy goes, uh, and Joey, yeah, he goes, uh, well, his mum told me. Last time I saw his mum, he said oh. that he was touring with Joe Tex. Joe, Joe Tex signed in 1982. And I'm just yeah. like, who the fuck is this guy? You know, it's so yeah. fucking, just such a great line. Yeah, no, it is a yeah. good one, that, absolutely. And, and and again, Chris, I'm sure we discussed it probably on this podcast about, 
you know, even when we were touring and stuff, and uh, I'd say touring, going around the pubs and clubs and what have you, and, you know, you'd follow up with a band and they're all about fucking 60, you know, with their, yeah. with their yeah. status quo, tight, tight ponytails, but, you know, much, much thinner on the top than they would have been, you know, 20, 30 years ago. All I could think about was that, you know, when I was looking at old Joey the Lips. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I actually inspired uh, Dave Tony inadvertently, which you, you said that on the show, didn't you? That comment about the band that, and I didn't realize when I said we were watching some old rockers on the stage at one of our gigs where there was like a few bands on. I think we were like the headline one. And I just went, there's not a fucking cat in hell's chance I'm getting up there at that age doing this. You know, I'll, I'll hopefully yeah. know when I'm out. And I said it to you and I never realized it had such an effect on you, Dave. That was years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. But because up until that time, I thought, I'd be in bands until I couldn't pick up a guitar anymore, you know, but uh, it, it did change my perspective. What and, a mate. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I guess, you know, fast forward years on and, you know, doing podcasts about old movies and Love Island. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and when I say to him, Tony, uh, I'm not doing this anymore, Dave. I'm not being 16, still doing this. And that'll be the end of the podcast as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, don't say that. Don't say that. No, no. Do well, the good thing about the 80s and 90s is they don't change do they so no no, so no we've got legs in this one so guys yeah. should we go into our final review let's go absolutely Now, Tony, as our guest I think it's only right to give you your final thoughts and uh, your score please Sure. Well, I mean, I obviously I didn't I, I was not I did not do what you did on the uh, um, lethal weapon review and pretend the whole time that I hated it only to gush <laughs> at the end. Um, I had him though, Tony. I had him you for a did. while. Oh man, <laughs> you did. I was I kept listening to that going, what is happening? That was a dick move. So um, it was. Thank you, Tony. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it was awesome though. I mean, I loved it. So no, to me, this this movie, like I said, I saw it the, the year it came out. I did not see it in the theater. I have owned the soundtrack on cassette and CD, and you know, I've got it on digital now. Um, I can I can pull that out. The only regret I ever have about this movie is the the um, there's the cover of the 15th edition is an, is the British movie poster where they're all flipping off the camera, and I would love <laughs> to have a poster of that. I, I um, that's the only thing that I don't have with this movie. I have the movies, I have the soundtrack. I love it. Um, I know the acting's bad, but I think the the lineage of it, uh, of of the way that the other actors have gone on to have musical careers and and um, like Sing Street came out a couple of years ago, and the woman who plays Natalie is in that as the mom, and the guy who plays Outspan wrote some of the songs for that because he was in a band with the director of that movie. So I like I love that the the lineage of the commitments carries on, and um, I will I'm with you, Chris. I'll probably watch it once a year for the rest of my life, and uh, so it's a cloud city all day long. There's I don't, I know it's not a perfect movie, but it makes me feel great every time I watch it. So, and I'll, I, that will always happen. And um, what would your score be as if I don't know? <laughs> Cloud City. Did I not say? I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. Cloud you City. might have done, but I, I was kind of yeah. furiously scrolling through my notes. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> How about you? Excellent, Tony. How about yourself, Chris? Well, Dave, I'll tell you now. If you shit on this movie, me and Tony are setting up our own commitments podcast, <laughs> yeah. right? That's all I'm going to say. So we'll do like the Predator minute, but we'll do commitment minute. Yeah, minute, minute. by minute. Yeah. 
<laughs> it lasts for years, Tony. Years. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I'm genuinely, I'm the same as Tony. I, I said at the start, it's it's quite an emotional film for me. Love it. It brings back so many memories. There's so many references to our uh, previous career, Dave, in the band and stuff. And, uh, you know, the Irish background for us all. It's just, it's so relevant to me in the language, the dialogue, the singing. Like I say, I could watch this movie and it could have the worst acts in the world, but Andrew Strong's singing is fucking amazing. He has, he has the gift, like, if you were, like, where's football fans or soccer fans to any of our American listeners? I would love to have the gifts that, say, Cristiano Ronaldo has or whoever to play football. That is like my, our passion football. But when you've got someone who can sing like that, you are writing checks. Well, he should have been writing checks for the rest should of his life. Should have been, without yeah, you know, doubt. Or people yeah. should be writing checks for him because he was so fucking good. So, yeah, Dave, it's Cloud City all the way and you are literally on a tightrope, my friend, with your next <laughs> next paragraph, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> Rolls his sleeve up, Tony. Let's, so, let's hear so, it. So actually, I mean, I didn't mention before, but what I find odd or slightly odd about this is, so the budget was about $12 million, and it only made at the box office $15 million. So really, commercially, it was a flop. You know, they say, you know, rule of thumb is you should double the budget, you know, because you've got to pay for all the marketing and all of that stuff. But I think this is definitely one that, that is ingrained as a cult classic, isn't it? And again, I think it, it is really interesting because of that boom time for Ireland, in particular when they went into Europe and, and everything converted to the euro, th- there was a lot of wealth injected into Ireland. And so I, I don't think I've probably seen another country convert quite so much because um, I, I, I can't, you know, I, I wasn't part of Ireland back then. Um, you know, I hadn't been there at that time. So it's in, an interesting window back into that real proper working class uh, deprived time when, you know, again, you're coming out of the 80s and whatever and, you know, not many jobs around and stuff. So I think even just academically, I, I found it quite interesting. But let's face it, there is one thing that stands head and shoulders above everything else in this movie, and that's the music. And again, I said it about Mustang Sally. For me, this is the definitive version of Mustang Sally with Andrew Strong belting it out. And I must admit, before we came onto this recording, I did sort of have it belting out as well. So, you know, it just, just to get me calibrated, to get me uh, kind of in the mood to talk about the movie. So, yeah, it, it did bring back, you know, it brought back memories. I enjoyed the music. I'd like to say about the acting, but I kind of forgive that given where they started. Again, this was a low-budget kind of movie. Again, for an Irish movie, I guess it, it was kind of high-budget. But, uh, yeah, just a, a different time. And now I can't say... There, there wasn't really anything I can fault it for, apart from, like, say, the, the bit of the acting and stuff. Uh, it did rekindle my uh, infatuation with the Melder, I have to say. I kind of forgot about that, but uh, I did enjoy that quite a bit as well, I have to say. But I'm not going to put it quite at the top like you guys. I think for me, it's a pleasant villain. It's a really, really strong movie. Uh, I probably won't go such a long stretch without watching it again. And uh, I, I guess the, the one thing that holds me back from properly loving this is a little bit like why I didn't like uh, the British office 
for the first few episodes, it's just a bit too close to home. So it kind of brings up some old scars about band politics and uh, some of that nonsense as well. But no, it is a really, really good movie. And I advise anyone, if if people out there haven't watched this for a while, then definitely go back and, and watch it. And it is just, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, it, is. it really. You know, I, I, I didn't realize that was the budget. I wonder if. I mean, Alan Parker's a. You know, he's a big time director, but I wonder if uh, all the money went to getting the rights for those songs. Well, the, you think? Uh, I was going to say Dave's right about that. It only made three million. However, this the soundtrack sold twelve million copies and was in the, the Billboard. Shit. Uh, the Billboard Top 200 for 76 weeks. So well, that it made its money off the soundtrack is an understatement. But Dave's right. It did it in the cinemas. However, but, it more than made. But how many royalties would they have had to have paid for that? So I think mm-hmm. it's very it's very complicated, isn't it? So I guess you can't yeah. measure it in the same way you might measure, I don't know, Top Gun or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, and, and I'm sure it had made loads on VHS sales and DVD sales. And, sure. You know, I've, I've owned it several times. Exactly. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I, I, there's no question it'll have made uh, its money back lots of times over. But usually, you know, you kind of measure it or that first data point, that first indicator is the box office. So I guess this is probably one of those that was more a word of mouth thing. Mm, yeah, that's how we found out about the film. Yeah. I agree. I do agree, Dave. That's how we found out about the movie. Um, and I also think as well, though, Tony, we can, you can take your finger off the trigger with kicking Dave out. He's, he's redeeming yeah, himself. No, I think we're good. Yeah. I'll, I'll thank God. Yeah, I'll, I'll let him off there. Yeah. But no, Dave, I think you're right. I, I think if you haven't got that connection, I can totally get it. And I, I agree, the close to home stuff, is, it's funny. It's just funny because it happens. Like I watched the extras, Ricky Gervais, having done extra work, Tony. Never seen extras before and I watched it while I was being an extra. And my God, it might be seven, eight years after Ricky Gervais brought it out. It's exactly the fucking same. It's just like, so that's what I understand, Dave, when you're saying that. It is just ridiculous. No matter what year you're in, fucking bands will argue and bitch and moan, no matter what band you're in. So yeah, yeah, I agree. Because it doesn't matter the musical style. What doesn't change is people. No, exactly. <laughs> People are just wankers, aren't they? That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> and on that well, cheery note. Yeah, but those are the best band movies, right? The, the, like the I think even Joey says success with the band was inevitable, right? Like you meaning it was you were never going to be successful. That's irrelevant. Yeah. It's just all, you know, what what matters is is that you you tried something and you made art and, and Yeah, so, and you aspired to it. be something different. So the fact that you didn't make yeah. it uh, it doesn't really matter. And so, again, I, I think that was a good message, I think. I, I, yeah. I do agree with that. And also, Joey didn't give a fuck because he came in, created a band, nailed all the girls in the band and fucked off on his And then left. Perfect. <laughs> he was the main star of the film in the end, wasn't he? He, got, he, he did all right. I mean, everyone else was fucked. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Joey came up with the, the name, didn't he? He was yeah, the one who yeah. came up with the commitment. So yeah, he, he, was, mean, yeah. he was the pivotal character, wasn't he? <laughs> but, but you know what? You know what? I can imagine that as well. Just I know yeah. we've gone through the reviews before we finish. Sorry, is, yeah. Tony. There is people out there who I can imagine Joey, if he was real, just going from band to band, and these about these are these are in that world. Oh, yeah. they, these about fifty bands call the commitments. You know, he <laughs> just see yeah. that yeah. Time, <laughs> <didn't> he? <laughs> yeah. yeah. He goes out to he Nashville. Had, yeah, he was definitely yeah. a scam artist for sure. <laughs> Fucking nonsense. How many girls have you got in the band? Right, we'll call a commitment. Okay, yeah, I'm joining now. Yeah. He said four, that's fine. Yeah, no problem. 
<laughs> Great stuff. Now, Tony, tell us a little bit about your show and what you've got coming up and also some of the articles that you might be working on as well. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, well, I've got this week, tomorrow, uh, this Friday, I don't know when this will come out, but I will have a, uh, uh, I just did a special with a couple of uh, guys who have a Kickstarter going for our final Halloween. That was a great show that's out now. I've got one with Har- Harrow County, which is another horror comic from Dark Horse. And then I've got, um, I've, I interviewed um, the artist for Angel uh, from Boom Studios. Oh, nice. Web. And um, I'm not going to say his name incorrectly because it's he's from Belarus. And so I don't want to insult him by saying his name wrong. But he's coming up and that's actually going to come out at the end of June. It's the same week that the, his issue 11 of Angel comes out. He's the artist on that. And actually this week he's um, he did Batman and the Outsiders too. So he's a rising star and uh, that's coming on. And then I've got a bunch of stuff planned. I've got shows booked all the way through July. All those guests are already booked and ready to go. So I'm excited and I write for DC Comics News. I do reviews and I started doing reviews for um, Fantastic Universes and I'm, I've started to do a weekly, I'm going to do a weekly podcast review. There's a good chance that this show will, will show up on there, I suspect, um, as this is my favorite <laughs> um, movie review podcast. Cool. Now I've been on it. So that's also exciting. And um, yeah, I'm just, if, and if there's anybody out there who's a literary agent who's, who's like, you know what I need? Um, I need a new client. I would love that. That's what, honestly, three about five or six times a week, I'm querying agents for my novel. So nice. that's kind of where I'm at. And uh, I'm on Twitter at Tricycle Boombox. And I have a website, arfarina.com. And you can just find me there. And if you have any indie comics you want me to cover on the show, send me a message. Um, you know, if you are a comic book nerd and you, you know, have the gumption to be on a show, let me know. I just, I just want people who love to talk about comics on there. And you don't have to be a reviewer or anything. Just have the love and want to come and talk for an hour or so. Excellent. Awesome. Now, Chris, how would someone get in contact with us? On Twitter, guys, at VHS Strikes Back. If you want to send us an email, VHSStrikesBack at gmail.com. Uh, and as always, drop us a review and your podcast catching up, guys. Just thoughts myself and Dave Grow gets us out there. And also, like Tony, if you do want to support the podcast and we have very different levels of tiers that you can support us on. Um, then we're over on Patreon, aren't we? So it's patreon.com forward slash VHS strikes back. And um, Dave, if anybody wants to do the McFly, then we will be ever indebted. Oh my you. God. <laughs> I hope you guys get that. <laughs> oh my word. Yeah. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Sounds amazing. Vegas. Yeah. Hey, I've got Wilson Pickett on the line. Oh no, Joey the Lips <laughs> right. has signed up here. <laughs> Joey the Lips signed up to be the McFly. Yeah. He said, "He said he can't pay us now, but when we're there, he'll sort us out." Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's gonna Mick Jagger to come will be there. Michael Jackson, Mick Jagger, and Elvis are all gonna play for us. Yeah. <laughs> Tony, Tony, if that ever happens, you better be coming over to Vegas. I'm telling you. Oh yeah. yeah. We'll get the whole band out. across. Yeah, that's right. right. That's right. If the McFly happens, we will all meet in Vegas. That's right. <laughs> Brilliant, brilliant. Awesome. Well, guys, Tony, thank you ever so much. Chris, thanks ever so much again. It was great to go back and look over this one. And all I'll say is I'll speak to you next time. Take care. Bye. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. What the fuck are we going to do now? What are we going to do? Maybe we could build a fire, sing a couple of songs, huh? Why don't we try that? We better get back because it'll be dark.
back soon, and they mostly come at night. Mostly. I'll be back. That's not. We came, we saw, we kicked its ass. Wax on, wax off. Yeah, maybe you, you might be so heavy. He's a fool, he's stupid. I've seen you in six 